from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Mexico, Bobby Bell is joining us this morning. Hey, Bob. Hey, good morning, Gary. Do you know that all roads lead to Albuquerque? I have heard a rumor. <laughs> I have heard a rumor. <laughs> that's that's, that's uh, coming up next week, isn't it? It is, and I am deep into the countdown. This is the big um, International Western Music Association gathering, and of course, we didn't have one in 2020. So, 
Uh, we are really looking forward to a week. For me, it kicks off Tuesday night with um, MCing the Rising Stars Showcase. It's going to be a fabulous night with four wonderful performers um, from our kind of our youth chapter. And um, then there's all kinds of you know prep work that I'm doing now to get ready for the whole week. So it for me, it all it feels like I'm I'm already in it. <laughs> Well, we're looking forward to next week. We'll be doing, I think this is our sixth year to be broadcasting live from the IWMA. I think so. Yeah, so we're yeah. going to have a whole lot of fun in that and visiting with some folks out there. But um, how's your weather, by the way, in Albuquerque? Oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah, we, it's just wonderful. It's it's like 55 right now, um, but the, the leaves are definitely turning now on those trees here that, that turn, and it's it's just beautiful. Yeah, good weather. How well, I woke up, this, woke up this morning to 30 degrees, and, uh, oh. and I'm sitting here in the studio right now watching the leaves fall. So it's absolutely gorgeous. The color is great. And uh, it is a beautiful day in Nashville, Tennessee. But we have mm-hmm. a great guest that we're going to bring on to the show in just a minute and talk about his weather, where he is. But who is our guest today on the Campfire Cafe? This is so exciting. This is a first time we will be chatting and playing the music of Jim Winters. And I'm sure we will have Jim on again, no doubt. <laughs> Well, it is a great CD that he has, and we're looking forward to introducing him and his music to our worldwide audience. And then the second hour of the show on Saddle Up America, it's going to be time for Backcountry Horsemen of America again. And Randy Rasmussen is going to be joining us. He's the Director of Public Lands and Recreation for Backcountry Horsemen of America. And I think we're going to be talking about wilderness today. So a lot of great Mm. music, a lot of conversation. It all starts right now with a great song by Mr. Jim Winters from his album Yearning. It's called Swing Me Back to Texas. We come back. We'll be talking with Jim Winters today on the Campfire Cafe.
and my thoughts keep on straying home to that sweet senorita who cried and begged me not to wrong and looking back on them dark eyes I can't wait till sunrise to point my saddle south I'm heading for that hill country wishing I was there right now so won't you swing me back to Texas set my boots in that Lone Star State Please don't bury me out on that long prairie Cause Lord, I can't wait For you to swing me back to Texas I got one more hill to climb Swing me back to Texas Lord, I miss that gal of mine Swing me back to Welcome back to Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Swing Me Back to Texas, performed by today's special guest, Jim Winters. If music was playing, today's featured guest, Jim Winters, was drawn to it. A fan of country music shows like Hee Haw and the Grand Old Opry, Jim caught the country music bug early, performing everywhere he could. School productions, local talent shows, and onto the stages of local country music shows. Through the years, he has opened for many country legends as well as hosted his own shows. Ever broadening his circles, he now sings not only classic country with his band The Back Road Aristocrats, but also performs with a popular cowboy band singing lead vocal with Three Trails West. Please help me welcome, appearing for the first time but not the last, the voice behind his brand new album, Yearning, Jim Winters. Welcome, Jim. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. How's everybody doing in the far reaches of our great land? <laughs> well, we're doing pretty good. So we've talked about the weather in Albuquerque and Nashville. What kind of weather do you have in kind of weather today? Well, it's overcast, about 45 degrees, but it's not raining, and uh, it's not snowing. The leaves That's are good changing, thing. and they're starting to fall. So yeah. uh-huh. we're going to have plenty of chores by the time we get home from Albuquerque next weekend. I expect you will. Well, this is your first time on the show, and for our worldwide audience, we always do this, Jim, to somebody that's been on the first time. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how you got started in music. Well, I really um, probably got the bug when I was a little bitty kid, uh, four or five years old, when my dad would get together with uh, his first wife's brother and they would sit and play music at the house my dad had been a honky-tonker in kansas city back in the 50s and he gave it up just just because it was bad for your health and and uh 
<laughs> Mom kind of laid down the law. <laughs> but, uh, in, in order to, to give up the bad things that went along with playing music, he just decided to stay home or, or he actually, he took up coon hunting and, uh, he spent a lot of time in the timber chasing the hounds to try to keep himself out of trouble. But, uh, that should do yeah, it. He would get together with his, with his ex brother-in-law and they would sit around the living room there and pick guitars and sing. And, and I'd sit on his lap and strum rhythm while he made the chord changes. And, and it just kind of went from there. And that's, uh, that's the way I Can grew I... into it. Uh, you know, I was that little kid out on the front porch after watching the Elvis movie on Saturday afternoon. I had the broomstick and the swagger going on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so did you start singing started, at that time? Yeah. Um, you know, singing probably started in school, uh, okay. getting into choir. And, and uh, I wasn't. I wasn't crazy about I, I played football one year and I tore my knees up. And after that, oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. There's no sense in, in making yourself miserable. Right. So uh, I was an old soul at a young age and I started singing and, and um, I had always enjoyed singing. And so I started singing in the choirs and the, the, the vocal groups there in school. And, and then I started, you know, doing the local talent shows and and uh singing at a, a church occasionally or um the the school productions uh singing solos in school productions and things like that so uh, first time I, I actually sang in a school production in middle school was really the first time my mother heard me you know sing out with a with a group Oh, wow. of any kind or a band. I had, of course, I had a whole school orchestra backing me up. But right. I sang a. Uh, I don't remember if it was my way or the Impossible Dream. One year it was one, and the next mm. year it was the other one. Two big songs. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, two big songs. But um, yeah, uh, mom. Mom said she looked around and the people that that you know knew me and and knew us and them they're sitting there with their mouths hanging open because they'd never heard me sing like that and <laughs> i guess i really hadn't ever sang like that i was you know 12 10 12 years old so um went on from from that to just uh talent shows and and uh then got to to play in music on the, the country music shows around the area about the time i was 13 14 years old mom hauled me oh, around wow. all those and uh, you know, every every kid's dream was to sing a song and make you know forty bucks on Saturday night. So mm-hmm. that was that, that was living high on a hog back in the you know nineteen seventy five, seventy eight, long in the right. So. Right. Well, that but, is that's uh, a pretty cool way to get started. So, what was your first? That, that's what. I'm sorry. What was your first band? Which when did you start performing with your band, or or did you just do a solo act? Well, you know, I started to try to put a band together two or three different times, and every time I did, I realized that musicians, as a general lot, were just pretty inconsistent. No. <laughs> <laughs> And and I always there was always somebody that had this problem or that problem or didn't show up or mm-hmm. you know 
was running from the law. Or, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and Jim, putting a band together I, was just was just more trouble than it was worth when I could I could play a different show, uh, you know, a couple times a month and and make a little pocket money, and I didn't have to do anything but but just carry carry me in and pick up a microphone and sing. So established uh, established entertainment venues and shows in the area that already had, you know, house bands and they would have guests come in and, and, you know, it would be a first half, second half kind of an Opry show and they'd already have a house band there and you'd walk in and say, Oh, I want to do, you know, these four songs and we'll do these two on the first half, these two on the second half. And, it, as long as you chose country standards and things that they knew, you know, you just you sailed right just through it. right up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the goal, of course, was always to take a country standard and and uh, make it something that you do the way that nobody else does. Just yeah, and make it memorable. And so that was that was the way I did it for many many years. And and uh, then. 1983, I spent a season playing music down at the Lake of the Ozarks and did it every, you know, six days a week. Wow. And uh, when I got back to Kansas City that fall after the season was over, I decided I was going to have a full-time job and pay my bills and make music fun instead of yeah. uh, something that I had to <laughs> depend on and I had to take people's guff uh, in order to sustain that. And I... I, I I've kind of chosen to do my music on my terms and and just enjoy it and uh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know make make fun out of it that way and enjoy the people that I get the opportunity to share it with. Well, we certainly enjoy this album Yearning. And we're going to get to another song right now from the CD. It's called Blues for DC. We're going to come back and talk more with Jim Winters today on the Campfire Cafe. Blue for Dixie now. 
basically, you know, out of necessity, but it's it's good exercise in and of itself, <laughs> and and uh, it'll broaden uh, a singer, a musician, to to you know, a pretty good degree to be able to to do a song four different ways. Yeah. But mm-hmm. when they asked me to sing with them, and and I basically said I don't know that I have the time, I don't know that I have the patience, and I don't, you know. And they said, well, we got a we got a showcase at a Folk Alliance International Festival coming up in Kansas City in, in in February, and this was about November. And we said, would you help us get through that? If you'll just help us get through that, if you don't like what you're doing, after that, um, we'll we'll find somebody else. We'll we'll go a different route. So I said, well, well, yeah, we'll give it a shot. And I had been emceeing a show out in a little town west of Kansas City, uh, Tonganoxie, Kansas, for about 17 years. And that closed down in 2011, and I had, had put together my, my band, the Backroad Aristocrats, at that point, and with you know some of the pickers from that show. And we were doing shows occasionally, and it was pretty, pretty occasional, you know. Uh, not on a regular basis, not working at it too hard, just opportunities that come up, and we get them and do them and, and enjoy them. So I started rehearsing with Roger and Leo Iles. Um They also go by the Derriers because they back up. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're a rhythm and harmony section. That's what they do. They back up. But... Uh, I started working with these guys at, at Leo's place and we'd get together a couple of times a week and they worked me like a rented mule. Uh, <laughs> and luckily I knew a few of the tunes they were doing just because of my, you know, familiarity with country music and, and Texas swing stuff. And uh, I learned eight or nine new songs and, and we polished them down to where we did them the same way every time. And, and it was easier to do that way because the band plays them the same way every time. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. after you rehearse them to a point, why then, yeah, yeah, okay, we can do that. And I was having so much fun with these guys because they're just playing crazy that <laughs> I, I just decided I wasn't going to quit. They're, they're brothers. You know, they grew up singing and playing music together, and they're nuts, and I love them. So, what an endorsement! I, I literally, that's an endorsement. I love them like our brothers of my own. They're just—it's so much fun to get together with these guys and make music. And again, you know, we'll sit down and get the creative juices flowing, and we'll say, "Okay, here's a song that we're thinking about doing," and we'll listen to it, and and then and then we'll uh, we'll say, "Okay, uh, you know, if we if we arrange it in this pattern." This gives all the musicians time to play here, here, and here. This gives that. And what if we do this? Oh, what if we do this? Um, mm. So, you know, it's one of those things where we're taking uh, a piece of material, piece of music, and we we kind of make it our own. And we don't we try not to do things exactly the same way that you know Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys did it. We try not to do things exactly the same way that the Sons of the Pioneers did it. We do it different because we want it to be different and you know it's not that it's not that we couldn't do it that way it's just that well i kind of like this way better (laughs) 
So let's do this. Okay, that sounds cool. Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know. Are you playing Adobe Morris today? No, we're not getting that, but we do have okay. coming up next the title of the CD, and that's Yearning. And you wrote this. Well, now you're, you got to say that right now. Say yearning. 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 There you go. Yeah, <laughs> See, I, I know how to say yearning. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, so tell us about the song. Well, I was sitting up late one night looking out the front windows of my office at the house uh, we lived in at the time, and it was just a blanket of white. It was cold. And I was sitting there with a heater on my feet, um, and I was YouTubing just classic country songs. I was listening to Ray Price and George Jones and Farron Young and Willie Nelson and Waylon and Haggard, and, and I, was, I was just, you know, just strolling through the music. And uh, I got to thinking about what made these songs hits. And I listened to a Johnny Cash song and a Buck Owens song, and, and I'm thinking, you know, there are there are singers, you know, like, and Garth Brooks will tell you, I'm not a singer, I'm an entertainer. Mm-hmm. But there are singers that they're they're phenomenal entertainers, they're great stars. They're not all that great as far as being singers. Right. There are tremendous entertainers, and it, you take what made them, what made them songs, what made those songs that they did hits. Well, it was the song, it was the story, and and the delivery of it, and and the fact that to some degree, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, the song is about something that applies to a vast portion of the the people right so i figured if i could write a song that could be everybody that heard it could could go oh yeah i know what he's saying started on yearning and i i i was sitting there at the computer running different things through my head and I, it was like two or three o'clock in the morning, and I, I went to bed. I finally, I finally got up and went to bed. And about an hour and a half or two after I went to bed, I sat up in bed. I grabbed my phone and I hit the voice record, the voice memo button, um, and I started singing the the first verse of of this song into into my phone and my wife wakes up she said what are you doing i said i'm writing a song and i hadn't written a song in probably 15 years at oh that wow point. wow and literally i have i've spent you know a good portion of my life i felt like at the time i had just spent a good portion of my life working to pay the bills yeah and there i needed a spark of something of some kind to get me back into to feeling like I was living for a reason other than just working to pay bills. And so I leaned heavily on, on my music again. And it, it brought a lot of enjoyment back to the things I was doing in everyday life. Um, but I was writing that song and the next morning in the shower, I got the chorus and I had to jump out of the shower, soaking wet, run in, grab my phone, sing, <laughs> sing it into my phone. So I wouldn't forget it. Because I have done that. I have, you know, thought up things and not recorded them and 
the next time I'd go, oh, I'll remember that, and and lost it, you know, and yeah. try to try to get it back. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But um, so I, I I worked on that song on and off, and it probably took me a couple three years. Uh, I, I put it away for a while, and uh, and then I, I dug it back out, and and actually before I went to the studio. I think that was in August before I went to the studio. Um, I was like putting the finishing touches on a couple of the, uh, things in the, in the, the bridge because they're different. The first half and the second half of the, the song, the chorus is, is, is a little different, Right. but, uh, so it's, and what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a listen to this great song. It's called Yearning. Yearning. Did I say that right? I appreciate y'all. Yearning. Yes, sir. Good job. Yearning. This is Jim Winters. We're back on the Campfire Cafe. Well, the days are getting longer and the nights are getting warmer and the aching in my bones is And it sings a lonesome song And the rhythm of the driver's like a drum I wake up in the morning And the sunlight hits my face There's an eagle flying in a big blue sky I hear that lonesome whistle And it seems to call my name And deep down in my soul I get a yearning I'm a yearning for the freedom of a big wide open sky Sleeping out beneath the moon and stars I'm a yearning for the freedom of an eagle as it flies Out beyond the cities and the bars Well, I don't need a woman, there's a good one back at home And I know she's got the home fires burning but Lord, she understands when that whistle calls my name. Deep down in my soul, I get a yearning. Sky, sleeping out beneath the moon and stars. 
burning for the freedom of an eagle as it flies out beyond the highways and the cars. Well, I don't need a woman, got a good one back at home, and I know she keeps the home fires burning. And she knows that I'll be back coming down that same old track. Cause every now and then I get a yearning Yes, Lord, she understands When that whistle calls my name Deep down in my soul I get a yearning Yearning, and we're talking with Jim Winters today on the Campfire Cafe. And uh, Jim, it just kind of amazed me because we were talking just a little bit before the show, and this is your first CD. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, that is it is my first genuine uh, recording project. Uh, yeah, I had to wait till I was. 60 years old to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait, I'm telling you. Terrific. Appreciate terrific. that. Thank you. Terrific. Hey, but, uh, yeah, you were telling us just a little bit earlier that you had recorded a cassette tape down in somebody's basement. And then about the time that you did that, cassettes went away and CDs came out. And now you've yeah, recorded yeah, a I, CD I, I, and they're about to go away. <laughs> about right. <laughs> oh, That's gosh. about right. You can't well, even buy think... a new vehicle with a CD player in it anymore. No, isn't that the thing? No, you can't. That's true. Yep. That's true. Yeah. So my wife went out the other day. You know, people are coming out with albums again on vinyl. Right. And so she mm-hmm. went to some uh, thrift store somewhere the other day, and she brought a photograph of fourteen ninety nine. And the girls have been having a ball going back and listening to some old old albums that we've got. So maybe the next my wife one needs to be still, an album. My wife has still got a stack of eight track tapes and a player that she plays them on. <laughs> they'll I probably can come believe back that. Again. Yeah, they'll probably yeah. come back again. Yeah, yeah. Right this in the next middle song. of the song, it'll go ka-chunk, click. <laughs> So this next song is called Sitting in a Honky Tonk. And who is the talented uh, performer that's doing the harmonies on it? On that song, I believe it is the lovely Miss Carolyn Martin. It is the lovely Miss Carolyn Martin. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. I was so you... I was blessed with the opportunity to go to Sweetwater Studios in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and cut that CD. And uh, Dave and Carolyn Martin extended the hospitality of their home to me. I, I got to stay with them and, and uh, spend a, a good week with them. And, and, of course, Dave and I worked together in the studio every day, and we talked music and we talked uh, history. And it just it was a it was a genuinely precious time that I have that I have thoroughly enjoyed thinking about since it was completed and and uh, looking forward to opportunities to get to see those folks again because they are truly some of the nicest, some of the finest folks I've ever had the pleasure of spending time with 
just wonderful they are, people. They are, they are pretty, yes. pretty folks. I got to ask, did, uh, did Carolyn make you? To go with it. Yeah, they are. I got to ask, did <laughs> Carolyn make you a plate full of brownies? Carolyn made brownies. Carolyn made cookies. <laughs> Carolyn made pie. Uh, oh my lord! She is oh. the hostess with the mostess, without with the a most- shadow of a doubt. That that lady is amazing. Oh gosh! Well, this is a great song. It's called "Sitting in a Honky Tonk." It's Jim Winters and harmonies by Miss Carolyn Martin. We'll be back. It's just a little honky-tonk on the lonely side of town. And folks don't seem to go in there until the sun goes down. You find me in a corner booth beneath the neon sign. Where tonight I'll try to wind me up and forget you one more time. Wind me up, turn me on and watch me cry for you. Them hurting honky-talking songs play the whole night through. Up on Barstool Mountain is where Honky 
Talk with Jim Winters from his album, Yearning. We're having such a great time with Jim. Uh, Jim, I know some of our listeners um, probably love to know a little bit about instruments that our guests play. Do you want to talk about just a little bit about maybe your guitar or your favorite guitar? Or do you collect music? You know, do you collect instruments? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, you know, I really don't collect them per se. Uh, I, I've got a couple guitars that I play uh, depending on where I'm going to be and if I'm traveling or not. Um, I've got uh, I've got a mandolin that I that I bought from a, a buddy that's no longer with us that uh, I thump around on once in a while. But uh, I, I don't have a huge uh, musical instrument collection, and what I do have is is pretty much you know for for playing music and and doing shows and um I, I don't hang them on the wall and just look at them i i don't have a lot of them but the ones i have i play so <laughs> do you have a favorite um not necessarily no um okay. like i said they're they're pretty much targeted for specific purposes uh mm-hmm. i use a, a taylor 310 to throw on an airplane and take with me when i go to albuquerque um if I'm at home or if I'm uh, 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 playing locally, I, uh, I carry my uh, uh, 610 or 615C Taylor guitar, which is a big jumbo-bodied maple cutaway just because it has a really rich and beautiful tone. And and other than that, um, once in a while I've got a, a, a an electric guitar, uh, kind of a made by a company called Vintage. And uh, a buddy of mine put that together for me, actually built it for me. And uh, I play that uh, if I'm, you know, in a, if I, on the rare occasion that I actually do play a honky tonk or the opportunity that I would do something that would require an electric instrument, that's the one I play. So uh, don't have a, don't have a big selection. It's just a few that I use. Um, uh, Gary, uh, what are you gonna what are you gonna play next? I'm going to play a great song that Merle has done, and when I listened to this okay. the first time, I thought Merle would have thoroughly enjoyed this. This is called I had What Have You Got Planned, Diana. <laughs> so let's take a listen to that and come back and talk more with Jim Winters on Campfire Cafe. Forty miles from the nearest gravel road We cut our life in the ponderous pine Sweated hard to beat the winter cold Now the cabin's in and we've got lots of time What have you got planned tonight, Diana? Would you consider lying in my heart? I love you more than ever now, Diana. I'm sure you're the reason I was born. 
born the first year we were here. Now look at you, my God, he's almost grown. The baby's in the cradle, fast asleep. Just thinking, no time he'll be up and gone. What have you got planned tonight, Diana? Would you consider lying in my arms? I love you more than ever now, Diana. does seem to fly, doesn't it, Diana? Been almost two years now since since you've been gone. Speaking of time, I guess you know mine's about up. I'm going to see you tonight. Just another breath or two, and I'll be home. By the way, what have you got planned tonight, Diana? Would you consider lying in my arms? I love you more than ever now, Diana. Bell, did you tell me that you cried when you listened to the song? I did because I hate to admit it, but this is the first time I'd heard that song, and so I didn't wow. know where it was going. And oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, you yeah, brought tears to somebody's eyes. So he did a great job on that song. I'm Absolutely. sorry, I didn't know it was so pitiful. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, our hearts need well, to be cracked you. every now and again. That lets us know we're alive. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, Jim, you have been so much fun to have on the show today, and I know that our audience around the world would like to find out how they can get this album. So give us your website and your Facebook pages and any other social media that you might have. Well, uh, I've basically got uh, two locations. One is my Facebook page, and it's Jim Winters Country Music. Uh, And then 
a website. My website is jimwinnersmusic.com. So just www.jimwinnersmusic.com. All right. Um, this album is great. I mean, there, there are more songs that I didn't get to Shenandoah. I wanted to try to get to that today, but there's so many terrific songs on here. So wherever well, you, you are in the world, you want to get this album and make it part of your collection. So where are you playing besides Albuquerque? I know you'll be in Albuquerque next week. Well, I'm doing a show in Leavenworth, Kansas uh, on Saturday. Okay. Uh, with the Back Road Aristocrats. I've got a, a good friend, uh, Jill Warren, is coming in from Nashville, and we're going to do a duet show because she and I have a repertoire of the George and Tammy and Conway and Loretta things. All right. And and then, uh, really, uh, don't have anything booked into the new year except uh, Three Trails West actually just uh, uh, set up a call. I think it's in August or September. I believe it may be August. Uh, we've got a trip to California that we're going to make. So Great. watch uh, watch the Three Trails West website, at the number three, trailswest.com, and uh, see what we're doing with the Cowboys because that's always fun. All right. So when when you got another album coming up? Because this, thing this thing's fantastic. So you need to be working on an album. Well, you know, uh, I had thought of different times about doing a gospel album. I thought about doing a Christmas album. Um, but there's one thing that, uh, well, a couple actually, that kind of make it difficult to get that done. And and I, I work a 40-hour-a-week job that takes about 50 hours a week to get it done. And then uh, I do uh, – uh, the other thing is uh, – the time, not only time to, to get loose to go do it, but the other is, of course, it's not free. It's, it's fairly expensive. No, it's not cheap. That's right. So when I sell the other 900 of these CDs that I have stacked in my living room, <laughs> I might be able to consider doing another one of these projects. All right. Well, help him out. And, uh, help him out. Go to his website. <laughs> Go to his website and order yours today. Jim, thanks for being with us. We're going to close this out with You Can't Get There From Here. Tell us about this song. I was working out in western Kansas coming back across the state on a two-track blacktop road. And the highway come right up against Interstate 135, which runs north and south between Salina and Wichita, Kansas. But the road I was on didn't cross Interstate 135. Now, I could see it on the other side of Interstate 135, and it continued east towards Bonner Springs, which is where I was headed to go home. But uh, the road didn't go there. You had to get off of that highway I was on, take a mile detour to the south on Interstate 135, make a double roundabout, take a mile back to the north, and then get back on that road and continue on. And as I looked at the GPS in my phone and I looked at the road in front of me and I saw the road I wanted on the other side of the road that was in front of me, I thought, I can't get there from here. i got to go somewhere else and start over. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, gosh. that song was written um, basically on the rest of my about two-hour-and-a-half journey on into the house. Oh, uh, the second well, it is. took 
happened a little bit later, but but for the most part, that trip is where that song came from. I guess. Well, this is another great song. It's from the CD, Yearning, and it's called You Can't Get There From Here. Jim Winters, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, you can't get there from here. You gotta go somewhere else and start over this road. Don't lead to nowhere, man. You can't get there from here. You gotta go somewhere else and start over and find a new direction if you can. Well, I've been rolling down this road most of my natural life. It cost me my happy home and my loving wife. You can't get there from here. You gotta go somewhere else and start over that road. Start over and find a new direction if you can.
Victory and Legacy Radio Network. When we come back, we're going to be talking with our good friend, Mr. Randy Rasmussen, with Backcountry Horseman America. While traveling west in a stagecoach, it changed my life for good. I saw a sight that struck me like lightning striking wood. Purple Mountains, Majesty, Cathedral of the Grand. I knew right then and there I'd be returning to this land. Why Starry night by a campfire light in the heart of Yellowstone. One man stood and said, Now this great place I'd like to own. But another man had a better plan. I saw it for all to see. And Yellowstone National Park became our legacy.
Welcome back to Saddle Up America. I'm your host, Gary Holt, and joining us today is our good friend, the Backcountry Horseman of America, Mr. Randy Rasmussen, who is the Director for Public Land and Recreation. Hey, Randy. Hello, Gary. Hi, Bobby. Glad to be here. Bobby is gone. Bobby is at the lead. <laughs> I'm sure she'll okay. be listening, though. I'm sure she'll be listening. Yeah. So, so how have you been? Doing well, thank you. You know, it's definitely winter-like weather in the in the Cascades here uh, in Oregon, but I think I'm ready for it. So, uh, oh wow! So you had snow? You? Well, today it's sunny. Um, yeah, in the and thirty. Yeah, yeah, sunny thirty here in uh, Nashville. It was thirty when I got. This morning, I think it's supposed to be in the fifties today. But golly, Randy, the colors are absolutely beautiful right now. Fall is here. Fall is Indeed. here. Yeah. So, do you get out very much, or do they just keep you working all the time with Backcountry Horsemen of America? Yeah, I'm kind of tied to a desk a lot here, and and plus COVID hasn't been any help. But when I do get out, it's usually meeting with partners and agency personnel and, and talking about how we preserve trails together. But there hasn't been a lot of that, uh, you know, the past year and a half here. So uh, I'm, I'm going a little stir-crazy at home. <laughs> well, I would suggest that you get out into the wilderness maybe just a little bit and experience some of this outdoors that we talk about all the time. And that's what we're going to talk about today, isn't it? Wilderness with a big W and a little W. I think so. I think it's such a great topic because wilderness means so many different things to so many different people. I can certainly share my views, but I think the concept of wilderness and what we've done in this country, you know, over the decades has really made an amazing system of protected lands that I think we can all want to escape and, yeah, find refuge in, like, like you said, Gary. So, yeah, let's talk about wilderness. Well, let's let's start out talking about the big W. What is the big wilderness? Well, when I say big, it's not the size of the landscape, but it's the the a formal designation made by the US Congress. So, you know, wilderness, once Congress declares it as such, is the most protected land classification. And this is this applies just to federal lands and waters, not state or private or county or whatnot, but at the federal level, you know, the big W is, is congressionally designated wilderness, but that is not the end all, you know, to be. I think wilderness and the concept, you know, in the American psyche is it's a relative concept. And yeah. the little W wilderness, you know, we can experience wilderness in so many different ways. And, you know, our own back 40 could be wilderness in our minds, you know, the county park is wilderness to so many people or state parks. So I don't mean to demean any of those places that aren't the big W wilderness. They're all just as important both to our quality of life and our sanity, you know, but then there's also that federal classification that Congress bestows on their federal lands that I think is a really wonderful concept that our country was the first in the world to come up with. Talk to us just a little bit, Randy, about what, uh, the designation of wilderness involves? Well, you bet. 
So, again, we're talking federal lands, uh, national forests, national parks, out west here, the Bureau of Land Management, for example, even the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, wildlife refuges. And so all of these lands are eligible for wilderness protection, but Congress made some criteria. They passed what's called, I'll call the Seminole Wilderness Act, the only Wilderness Act in 1964. So that's going back, you know, what, 50, boy, more than 55 wow. years ago. Uh, and my math is bad, but, but yeah. So, you know, and that has remained unchanged. But what Congress said back then is they gave it a few criteria. You know, it has to be, in general, greater than 5,000 acres in size. That's not a hard test. It's not a hard and fast test either. But in general, greater than 5,000 acres of contiguous land that is primarily affected by the forces of nature, you know, where, uh, you know, man himself as a visitor does not remain. There's all this flowery language in the Wilderness Act, which I think is really wonderful. Um, You know, wilderness provides outstanding opportunities for solitude or primitive and unconfined type of recreation. I mean, some of these terms are untrammeled lands. And, you know, untrammeled is a where we don't hear about that very often. We, it's not, it's not untrampled. It's untrammeled. untrammeled. And intentional. Untrammeled. So, yeah. And that's, you know, that itself has its own kind of definition and has evolved over time to what that means. It doesn't mean it's pristine because I don't think there's any pristine landscapes in the planet left that we haven't had some kind of influence on, be it, you know, direct manipulation, uh, you know, or, or pollution or changing the climate or whatever we do as humans that change things. There's nothing that's primitive, but they're right. primarily, wilderness areas are primarily affected by the forces of nature. And that's a great caveat because if we said they were pristine, I don't think we'd have much, if any, wilderness here. Well, one of the things that are important to people, I think, um, today is just being able to get out and get away and maybe leave the phones behind or turn them off and and get out and enjoy the peace and solitude. I know that it's kind of funny. I'm I'm almost in the middle of Nashville where I am right now um, because of the school situation. But... My backyard is like a forest, you know. We've got we've got wildlife back here, and just to be able to get out and enjoy uh, a quiet moment uh, and enjoy the wildlife is kind of special. I think you know, early in the morning with a cup of coffee is a great way to start out. But we talk a lot of, about how it relates to the trail rider, but it really applies to everybody, doesn't it? I think so. I think having wild places to escape to, you know, keeps us sane and keeps us human. You know, um, it, it's just something that we need in our lives, whether we know it or not. But think of all the people who have, you know, maybe they don't, don't get out often enough or on a trail ride or, or get out at all these days. But think of the, sometimes the, the, the art they have in their houses or the calendars they put on their walls or Oftentimes these natural, beautiful, you know, largely pristine landscapes because there's something about the American, you know, the mind of the person, people like us that just we want to, we aspire to be in those places or we aspire to protect those places even though we may not visit them. It's important to us that those landscapes are kept 
intact because of, like you mentioned, the value for wildlife, the value for clean water, the value for, you know, any kind of number of services that nature provides, you know, both to sustain itself and to sustain the human population. There's just something in the human mind that gravitates towards, I'm glad there's places like that that exist, whether they're formally protected by Congress or not, you know, these places are important to us. So, that's critical to the identity of the, the volunteers of backcountry horsemen. You know, the men and women that make up our volunteers that work on trails get it, and they spend a lot of time in wilderness, uh, often in, you know, multi-day pack trips uh, with their horses and mules, often in day trips on a day ride into protected areas. But wilderness is critically important to, you know, backcountry horsemen and women because of what it, what it provides, you know, these largely – I mean, again, the whole idea is to, to, to say on this United States and our land base that it's a dwindling landscape. There's increased industrialization and human presence everywhere. Why can't we save those last great places, you know, for nature themselves or for our own recreational, you know, endeavors? It's really kind of showing humility that we want to have these kinds of lands to say there are just some places that are worth protecting because we're such a wealthy nation. We don't have to exploit every acre. Um, and so backcountry horsemen and women really prize that ability to get away. And then, of course, trails provide the arteries in wilderness. We have to get people in and allow them to travel through and experience wilderness. So without our trail work and what we do to keep trails open, the public can't have that experience in many places. So to me, that's just a beautiful linkage to why the work of, of backcountry horsemen of America is important not just to our own members, but to anyone uh, who wants to go out and explore for a day or for multi-days these great American landscapes we call wilderness. Yeah, that's so true. And, and, and you know, I guess that makes me think about the, uh, the uh, program that you're working on in partnership with other organizations, and that is to be able to keep the trails open not only for the horseback trail riders, but the hikers, and the bikers and the other folks that get out and enjoy uh, our wilderness areas. So how is, how is that program going? Oh, you're talking about Trails Are Common Ground and that website, yeah, yeah. trailsarecommonground.org. It's going well. We had, in, and we talked about in August, a soft launch kind of so, through social media, just right. about kind of raising awareness about trail etiquette and trail safety because, um, you know, when we talked about it at length on your show, I know, but the beauty of it where it's going is that we're having all these national and regional groups, be they mountain bikers, you know, equestrian, hiking, trail running, you name it, talking together every week about how we can improve conditions on the trail for everybody. And that's such a great place to be in because think about in the recent past and, and beyond, we've oftentimes been very much at odds. We'll continue to have difference of opinions about what particular landscapes are most suitable for what particular trail uses or modes of travel, but we can at least agree on principles that everybody should be enjoying their public lands. Everybody should feel welcome out there and feel safe, and that's what we're striving towards is that coalition under trails or common ground. It's just that, yeah, that common ground of let's all get along together. So no, thanks for asking, Gary. That's going well. We just had a call yesterday. Uh, and where it's going is kind of up to the group to decide 
But I think there's a couple things that might come from this. One is we might be in a position uh, as we continue to work together to better inform the, the land management agencies, be they state parks or these federal agencies we're talking about, how they can better design and maintain trails that meet the needs of, of you know, the, the breadth of users and how we can build trail systems that, you know, in some cases separate uses because we don't want to necessarily be sharing trails all the time with mountain bikes. Right. And, you know, but ways we can kind of recognize that we're all here together. We're not just each trying to fight over a small piece of the pie or trying to, you know, take a big chunk of the pie to the detriment of these other trail users. We're actually talking about ways we can build trail systems together so it's not just, you know, specific to one user group and the rest of us are left with the crumbs, you know, uh, of the landscape that are left. So, but the beauty going back to wilderness too is, Wilderness, by definition, doesn't allow mechanized travel, mechanized or motorized. So I was going to ask about not legal. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask about that. Well, wilderness is great for many reasons for the type of recreation, you know, the equestrian community likes to do, because you can largely get away from the noises of, of modern society, and you can get away from the mechanized uses like mountain bikes or motorcycles or jeeps because they're not legal in wilderness areas. So it truly is an escape, you know, from modern society, if you will, using a primitive form of travel, either you're on your foot or you're on your, your animal or you're right, or you're paddling a canoe. For example, there's some wilderness areas that are centered around water bodies, like the, the boundary waters wilderness in Minnesota that are just for those experiences. And that's a primitive mode of travel of which clearly backcountry horsemen and women, you know, do all the time. And so it really, wilderness really does preserve those places that are important for us where we can get away. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take a real quick break. There's a, there's a new artist that I have on, uh, called, his name is John Lowell. And he has a great song from a, a new album that he's done called The Lonesome Western Trail. Just, and uh, let's take a listen to that and come back more and talk with Randy Rasmussen today on Saddle of America.
the days were hot and the way was dry, the wind a dusty veil. Five thousand strong, we moved along the lonesome western trail. We'd listen to the noble song, the prairie nightingale. Then circle round the bed and ground out on the western trail. Oh, the lonesome trail, the western trail, the lonesome western trail. We circle round the bed and ground out on the western trail. Places to keep your horses are disappearing. What's going on out in the West? Is the same 
thing happening out there. A lot there. of the same. Yeah, it's a lot of the same things happening. As human population expands, not only are we losing farmland at a rapid rate, uh, there's more and more people wanting homes, or in some cases, second homes, you know, out in the wildlands, right on the edge of these federal public lands that are creating all kinds of hazards. Then you throw in the, the massive wildfires that we've been having. And the, yeah, the Appalachians escaped a big one this year in terms of huge wildfires, but the West right. yet again had a, you know, record year of fires and devastating wildfires, you know, in the millions of acres. Um, it's, it's not getting any better. Let's put it that way. And of course, a lot of these fires burn into some begin in wilderness areas. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's an interesting discussion about whether, and I'm pretty certain I know where the, the science would come down is whether wilderness benefits or, you know, uh, defends against wildfires or, you know, makes things worse. Uh, well, science would say it helps, you, I'm sure, wouldn't they? Scientists well, would say it helps. Buff, it depends. I guess all of it depends on where you are and what the circumstances are. And clearly, if you have, you know, residences and people living on the edge of a wilderness and there's a fire that either starts or spreads into it and is headed that way, it's, it's, it's still not a good thing. No. But by and large, the, a lot of these wildfires are allowed to burn because they don't threaten structures or people because they're so remote and isolated. And in many cases, the, the wildlands, the wilderness areas provide a buffer uh, against you know human populations from the, the devastation of wildfire, so it, it's it depends on where you are, it depends on what happens. But we're seeing more from the science that a lot of the forestry practices of recent have made situations worse when we thought for a while the opposite was true. You know, if you clear cut an area and let it grow back in a monoculture that it was somehow more fire resistant, there's more and more science coming out and saying no natural. Uh, forests are, are better equipped to deal with wildfire than the, the manipulated ones that we've, you know, manipulated for well over a century now. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's it's amazing how when man messes with something, we usually screw it up instead of making it better. <laughs> Indeed. Mm-hmm. We won't get into politics. No, no, but we do have an imprint, and that's why the wildlands are are doubly important, you know, that there are these refuges or bastions of relative wildness that we can go to and natural processes and and wildlife. I mean, hunters, you know, most of the hunters I know say that the best and great places, you know, to hunt are where the trail ends and where the wildlands begin because that's where your elk are going to be hiding out. Stay, stay, staying safe and, you know, and, and that's where they're going to get bigger, uh, you know, and more healthy. There's just lots of reasons that wilderness and, and in, in angling and, and fisheries, I mean, same situation there. Um, the hunters that I know say that it's just the best place to go is wilderness. It's a little more work on their part. Yeah, you have to get in there. And pack, yeah. pack out there, you know, what, what they get, but still, um, you know, it's worth it to them because of the quality of the hunt. And it's part of it is the experience. You know, you're not going to come across motorcycles or, you know, automobiles or, uh, you know, other things when you're out there and you intentionally venture into wilderness. Speaking of which, I think I noticed, uh, California just have a big event this, this past week that, uh, had some, young folks that had done very well in 
backpacking competition? Well, the backcountry horsemen of California just finished their uh, annual rendezvous. And I think, yeah. is that what you're referring to? I think so. I think I just seen something that popped up on social media about a couple of young folks that had had uh, excelled in the in the uh, packing area, the outfitting packing. Yes, you know the backcountry horsemen of California have put some good resources behind the next generation of of you know packers uh, for horses and mules, and so they have cultivated and funded you know the training. Um, for a number of, I'll say, people in their relative youth, relative to you and I, but, you know, anywhere from the, in their 20s and 30s, maybe even a little bit younger in some cases. And uh, many of these young adults have just taken to it because of that opportunity and have reveled in it. And with all the support they get, I mean, they're, they're guaranteed jobs right away if they want to work for the U.S. Forest Service, for example, um, or they want to continue you know, packing in the backcountry and wilderness it's a great program that our California folks are doing to perpetuate, you know, those skills and that skill set that, you know, could otherwise be lost if we don't find more people to fill the ranks of the aging backcountry horsemen and women. How, how, how are the, uh, we've talked, we, we were talking during the, during the break a minute ago about folks that get too old to ride horses uh, and what they do, but what about the programs that, Backcountry Horseman has for the young people that are coming. We need more young people involved in horse activities, and, and I would think with Backcountry Horseman of America, how are those programs advancing now? They're, thanks for asking, Gary. Our youth programs are gaining steam. We have a national committee that's working with many of our states and chapters where people are doing just what I mentioned California is doing. I know Montana has a robust program. Uh, with, you know, youth packing, you know, clinics. Um, but to give you one of the best examples, people just need to go look at our fall newsletter. Go to bcha.org online and uh, search for our newsletter. And our most current edition has a wonderful uh, two articles about some of the youth that are training uh, in packing skills. So we, we recognize it's a huge need for the reasons I mentioned. I mean, it's just critical and we're getting headway, and I would love to see us get large grants from foundations and other places to really be able to take that model of packing clinics for youth and do that in just about every state, you know, that we can. Um, so it's taking off. We, we, you know, it's still a committee of sorts, and, and I'd love to see these things be scaled up. But, um, you know, so far the progress is encouraging. So I really encourage people to look at BCHA's fall newsletter to get more details on the perspectives of some of these very individuals that are involved in the youth packing clinics. Their, their view of, of why this is important to them uh, is one of the articles too. Well, and we want to encourage people to visit Backcountry Horseman America's website and read the articles. You can kind of keep up with what is currently going on across the country. And, uh, and I think things that you need to be on the lookout for, uh, where you can get involved if there's some situations in your part of the country that maybe you would like to see change. And uh, Backcountry Horseman is a good place to go to to visit and do those types of things. BCHA.org is the website? That's right. BCHA.org, and that'll get you our landing page. And once you click on 
any of those things. Well, first of all, there's a chapter locator right at the midway in that first page. Find a BCHA chapter near you in our 32 states. But once you get into that, you can just hit the search engine at the top, you know, and, and find newsletter or whatever interests you. Um, there's a searchable database and a lot of good information about, you know, the kind of work that uh, our volunteers do. Well, Backcountry Horseman's website has greatly improved over the last several years, so I would encourage people to do that, visit it, and uh, and get as much information as you can about what's going on with the trail systems across the country, and get involved. You know, it, it, uh, it's great to get out and enjoy the trails, but they could all use some help, and uh, more people that are involved in keeping these trails clear and work that needs to be done so that you can enjoy them. Randy, it's always good to have you on the show. You're not quite as Thank good you, looking Jerry. you're not quite as good looking as Sherry Copeland, but you have made a <laughs> my my chairman. I heard that your chairman the recorded version of the one I missed. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair game. Um <laughs> uh, it's great to have Sherry on the show as well. So so when you when you uh when you had to pitch in and sit in for her this week, I said, Well, we'll just have to make do. And we've done very well. <laughs> we've done very well. Oh gosh. All right. right. Well, we look, and Sherry will be joining look, it next month, right? All right. It'll be great. We look forward yeah. to that. Randy, thanks so much. We appreciate you, my friend. Hey, you bet. Take care, Gary. All right. We'll be back in just a moment with more South America. Oh. Yeah. 
That's Carolyn Seals' combo, Hold Your Horses, is the song. And uh, we've had a good time today. Great having Jim Winters join us for his very first time. Great album, Yearning. And you can visit his website to purchase that CD and learn more about him and where he will be touring as well as through Charles West. Uh, also on Saddle Up America Day, it was great to have our friend Randy Rasmussen join us. He is the Director for Public Lands and Recreation with Backcountry Horsemen of America, and great information from him. Next week, we go to Albuquerque with a live show. We'll be visiting with artists there that are performing and taking part in that great event as they hold their annual convention in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Hotel Albuquerque. So be sure and tune in. It's a special two-hour show from the IWMA in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Robert Eversole will be joining us the following week. So we look forward to talking with Robert uh, on the 18th instead of on the 11th. We thank you for joining us today. We remind you, as always, if you climb in the saddle, get ready for the ride on Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We're going to close out the show today with a from the Dan Canyon Band. It's called By the Light from Western Stars. Be sure and join us next week for the Campfire Cafe and Settle Up America.